Kenzie Lambert here, your host for Mac and the Movies, where we look at everything from art house to grindhouse, mainstream to obscure, the forgotten, and the unforgettable. Glad you're taking time to give this show a listen. On this episode, we are taking a look at the first four feature film directorial efforts of low-budget filmmaker Ray Dennis Steckler. He made his debut with Wild Guitar, followed by the incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed-up zombies, the Thrill Killers, and Rat Fink Abubu. Before we look at the films, let's take a look at the man himself. Ray Dennis Steckler was born on January 25, 1938, in Reading, Pennsylvania. His childhood was mostly spent with his grandmother, who helped feed him his love of movies. At age 15, his stepfather bought him an 8mm home movie camera. He was a combat photographer for three years that he spent in the U.S. Army. After being discharged as a sergeant in 1959, he made his way to Hollywood to be part of the movie industry. Steckler had a brief brush with the major studios. Reportedly, he was fired after nearly injuring Alfred Hitchcock on set. He made his way into working on B-films, working with Arch Hall Sr. at Fairway Pictures as an occasional actor and cinematographer. He made his directorial debut with uh, the Arch Hall Jr. vehicle, Wild Guitar. Steckler would use a plethora of pseudonyms. Cash Flag would be his moniker as an actor. Names like Sven Christian, Cindy Lou Sutters, Henry Pierre Duval, Ricardo Malatote... Bill Hunter, Randall Hayes, and Sergio Leonardo would be for his venture into pornographic films. In between movie directing gigs, he also directed the music video for Jefferson Airplane's White Rabbit. He passed away in 2009 and left behind a string of hidden exploitation gems. Many you can find on DVD featuring host segments and commentary from Joe Bob Briggs. His last film, the decades later sequel... Uh, to The Incredibly Strange Creatures, one more time. Now, let's dive into the movies. Spoilers ahead. We got movies! Down, Hollywood. Now, look, kid, let's get something straight right now. You're the one that wants to be a star, not me. You don't love me anymore. Hit me! And all American boy sings his way into your hearts. Like thousands of kids who come to Hollywood every year, see Arch Hall Jr. in the swingingest musical action picture of the year. Getting all the time. Once a girl, get one for him. Nothing could shake him from his goal. Not even easy. Frenzy of music and action. (laughs) 
sensational film. The swingingest picture of the year. See Archall Jr. and Nancy Czar in Wild Guitar. Bud Eagle is an aspiring singer-songwriter fresh out of Spearfish, South Dakota, hoping to make a name for himself in Hollywood. He makes his way to a small diner where he meets Vicky, herself an aspiring dancer. By chance, she has a spot on a local variety show and thinks Bud should join her in the chance that there's a spot for him. Just Bud's luck, another act on the show had to cancel due to illness. Bud takes the spot and manages to pull off a good performance. Bud's performance catches the eye of Mike McCauley, a local record producer. Mike immediately takes in Bud, but keeps him under strict lockdown. Mike dictates Bud's gigs, his songs, and who Bud can talk to. Soon, things come to light regarding Mike's business practices and how he handles his clients. Now, Bud must fend for himself and do whatever he can to see Vicky again. Wild Guitar was a music drama that was a star vehicle for Arch Hall Jr., produced by his father, Arch Hall Sr. The same father and son duo produced the caveman cult classic, Ega, with Richard Keel in the title role, which explains why there's a lot of familiar sights in Wild Guitar. There's the painting of Robert Miller in Mike's office. The corpses of Ega's relatives appear in a warehouse. The Vicky song is even reused and makes much more sense in the context of Wild Guitar. could make a safe drinking game of in-film references to Ega. The movie itself is a by-the-numbers affair regarding a rising star and the corrupt practices of their management. You know exactly the direction the film is going. There are a few moments of absurdity that made for a nice surprise. The little kid in the diner, the kidnapping sequence that doesn't end up ending anywhere near how I thought it would. Ray Dennis Steckler pulled double duty as he would do for the films he directed at the time, he would both direct and act in the film. And while guitar, he plays the muscle of Mike McCauley, Steak. The movie is straightforward with its plot, beats, and cinematography. There is little to no flash or distracting style. 
Here is the first time he dons the pseudonym of Cash Flag. Arch Hall Sr. was the producer and also played Mike McCauley. He brings the right amount of sneakiness to the role of the opportunistic agent. As mentioned, he produced a number of films for his son, Arch Hall Jr. Uh, Other films of note that Sr. was involved in included The Choppers and The Corpse Grinders. Joseph Maselli was the cinematographer. We talked about him for a bit regarding his directorial effort, Monstrosity, a.k.a. The Atomic Brain, back in episode 24, Without the Riffs. Hedding's second unit photography was Vilmos Zygmunt, who had fled Hungary in 1956. Zygmunt got his start under the likes of Steckler and Al Adamson, before working on The Last Waltz for Martin Scorsese, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and The Deer Hunter. Arch Hall Jr. is the lead Bud Eagle. He has that Luke Wilson gosh darn charm. It's not a stretch to see girls fawning over him. Unironically, he would give his best work as killer Charles A. Tibbs, based on real-life spree killer Charles Starkweather, for the thriller The Sadist. Nancy Zara's The Love Interest Vicky really sells the wholesomeness of her character. She has that bright look in her eyes, gleaming naivety. She worked sporadically throughout the 60s before leaving acting in the early 1970s. While guitar has its appeal, especially for the MST3K crowd, this is a cheesy melodrama. If you look past the predictable nature of this subgenre of film, I, I think you'll enjoy Wild Guitar. Look, then run for your life. Incredible is the word for the world's first monster musical. magnificent Eastman color, the daring, dancing, enticing, and horrifying, the incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed-up zombies. From the innocence of music and laughter comes the twilight of terror. Along the midway, scantily clad dancers, luring the young lovers into the sideshows. murdered by the incredible night creatures of the midway. I really know that something evil lies ahead for me. An unspeakable pit of dismal subhuman monsters who drool and shiver, moaning for the thrill of revenge. Incredible are the songs, the gaiety, the zombie stomp of those who will stop living. And then the mix-up, trickery, and the device to ruin. See the hunchback of the midway fight a duel of death with the mixed-up zombies, turning men into monsters twisted, tormented human vultures, yearning to kill incredible creatures clutching at the thin threads of their miserable lives. Human vultures, only the weird zombies remain. Is the woman branded in birth wearing the ward of horror? Do as Madame Estrella said. The world's first monster musical. The incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed up zombies. Fortune teller Estrella makes advances on a drunk client. He rejects her only for her henchman Ortega to manhandle him to the ground. Estrella proceeds to splash poison in his face, turning him into a zombie minion. Slacker Jerry and his girlfriend Angela are joined by his friend, Harold, for a day at the carnival. 
Meanwhile, a dancer named Margie is drunk while performing a dance routine. She is forced to leave and not come back until she sobers up. Marge sees Estrella for her fortune, but is terrified and runs away. Marge runs by Jerry and his friends, who go in to see Estrella themselves. All three of them get ominous fortunes, and then they leave. On the way out, Jerry is stunned at the sight of Estrella's sister, Carmelita. This causes Angela to leave in a jealous fit. Jerry has Harold go with Angela to make sure she is, makes it home safely. Jerry goes in to see Carmelita dance. After the show, Jerry is lured backstage and is hypnotized by Estrella. She puts him under her power. He ends up killing Marge and her dance partner in the middle of a routine. Jerry acts strange and his friends pick up on it, concerned. Incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed-up zombies is a bizarre hybrid of musical and zombie movie with hints of a psychological thriller. You have these decently choreographed sequences in between the horror bits, which will disorientate the viewer. These aren't zombies in the traditional George Romero sense, but closer to the brainwashed mutants. This is another one for the MST3K crowd. This film was featured on an episode where its awareness grew. Uh, Thanks to this film, Ortega would become a reoccurring character for the show. For all the jokes and claims of this film being one of the worst ever made, it has some creepy moments. The dream sequence in the dance hall, the hypnosis sequence, the opening credits, the look of the zombies. They actually work with making this a horror film. Because of the film's original title, Incredibly Strange Creature, or Why I Stopped Living and Became a Mixed-Up Zombie, Columbia Pictures tried to stop the film due to them producing a film with an equally or nearly equal long title, Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Steckler phoned Columbia to have the issue straightened out, going so far as to demand to speak with Stanley Kubrick personally. When on the phone with Kubrick, Steckler offered a new title. Kubrick accepted Steckler's new title, and the matter was dropped. This film marks the first instance of Steckler not using a completed script. Sure, you have Gene Pollock and Robert Seliphant credited as writers, but there is a footloose and fancy-free execution of the plot. Steckler himself explains why he doesn't like using a completed script. People always ask me why I don't have a completed script. Well, every time we have a completed script, the movie never seems to get made because we can never afford to shoot what's on the script. You know, you need all these things, and you start spending all this time locating these things that you need for the movie, and by the time you get all that done, it's too late to make the movie. Zygmunt returns for second year photography, but is joined by Laszlo Kovacs, a fellow Hungarian refugee. Kovacs would go on to a solid career himself as a cinematographer. Later credits include Easy Rider, Ghostbusters, Say Anything, and My Best Friend's Wedding. The brief shot in Marge's dressing room with the camera turning and spinning was shockingly impressive. Steckler ups his game as an actor here. He really sells the lazy attitude of Jerry, but also manages to be scary during the sequences where he's hypnotized. Save for Carolyn Brand as Marge, you don't see many of the other members of the cast appear in other films, not just Steckler films either. The one standout is James Bowie as the comedian. You'll see Bowie in other films for this episode. He has some great zingers. I don't have to do this for a living, you know. See? 
My father and mother have an iron and steel company. You've heard it before? No, go ahead. My mother irons and my father steals. <laughs> Incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed up zombies is a weird one. It blends together genres that shouldn't mix zombies and musicals. Yet without this film, there probably wouldn't be a Rocky Horror Picture Show. There wouldn't be a Cannibal the Musical, or there wouldn't be an Evil Dead the Musical. You have Stickler to thank for that. Sure, there's an MST3K episode, but the movie itself is enthralling enough. You can enjoy it without the riffs of Mike and the Bots. So scary, so terrifying, we dare you to see the maniacs are loose. The world's first horror movie made in hallucinogenic hypnovision. Hallucinogenic horrors not only on the screen, but in the audience all around you. It's a hallucinogenic nightmare. You are put in the middle of the picture with bloodthirsty maniacs all around you. Not only on the screen, but live maniacs in the audience. All over the theater, looking for victims. Homicidal maniacs escape from an asylum. They terrorize a community. Gullible, love-starved women become their prey. And you'll see these same bloodthirsty maniacs in the audience all around you alive. For the thrill of your life, see the maniacs are loose. Dennis Kazdekian is a family man on his way to a business meeting. He stops for a hitchhiker on the side of the road. The hitchhiker is serial killer Mort Mad Dog Click. Click shoots him, leaving his body on the side of the road and driving off in Deskekian's car. The night earlier, Click murdered an exotic dancer slash prostitute with a pair of scissors. Meanwhile, we get word of a trio of escaped inmates from an institution for the criminally insane. The escapees were identified as Gary Barcroft, Keith Rogers, and Herbie Click, the brother of Mad Dog. They kill a soon-to-be-married couple, decapitating both of them with an axe. They soon meet up with Joe Saxon, an actor, and his friends in a diner and hold them hostage. The Thrill Killers is a well-paced suspense crime film, which is a surprise considering all of the segments with Mad Dog Click were filmed out of necessity. The plot of the escapee trio didn't last long enough for the whole movie. They set up uh, shots of Herbie on the phone with his brother, Mad Dog, being the lean bit of connected tissue between the two plots. The violence is almost the caliber of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You have decapitations, a brutal stabbing with scissors, poisoning, and people being gunned down left and right. Steckler and cinematographer Joseph Maselli show us just enough that allows our imagination to fill in the blanks, which leaves a much stronger impression. Don't get me wrong, I love me some gory flicks a la Lucio Fucci and Herschel Gordon Lewis, but my imagination produces imagery that could never be caught on film. You know, um, maybe unless it's the guinea pig series. When the film was released, Steckler took the film on a tour. During the midnight screenings and drive-in showings, Steckler would be dressed as Mad Dog and terrorize the hapless viewers. William Castle would be proud. One scene that stands out in my mind is the party scene where you have producers Arch Hall Sr. and George Morgan playing themselves and have a young, nubile blonde sitting between them. 
you instantly get some Weinstein casting couch vibes. From interviews with Steckler, both men were nothing at all like they were presented in this film. Go figure. The independent filmmakers making the low-budget films were more upstanding than the big studio producers. Ray Dennis Steckler stands out as Mad Dog Click. His short crew-cut hair and his menacing face is different from his slacker beatnik turn as Jerry from Incredibly Strange Creatures. His ability to just jump into the film when he wasn't in the original plot of the film is pretty impressive. This is another example of the benefit of not using a completed script. Gary Kent is memorable as one of the escaped inmates, Gary Barcroft. His psychotic behavior is triggered when someone closes the door. Kent has a long acting career uh, with him still acting to this day. He also worked as a stuntman in classics like Color of Night and Boba Hotep. Herb Robbins was another cult film regular, and he's decent as Herbie Click. He's the opposite of Mad Dog. Mad Dog is a man of few words while Herbie can't seem to stop talking. He made his acting debut in Thrill Killers, but would later appear in The Doll Squad, Adios Amigo for Fred Williamson, The Worm Eaters, and Toby Hooper's The Fun House. The supporting cast features Steckler regulars Carolyn Brandt, Titus Modet, Irina Enyo, and James Bowie. The narrator of the opening was played by Coleman Francis. Francis was an exploitation filmmaker in his own right. Red Zone Cuba, The Skydivers, and Beasts of Yucca Flats were his directorial efforts, which also featured him as an actor. The Thrill Killers may be Steckler's best film. There's almost no slowdown. The cast takes the material seriously and sincerely. The violence, while mostly bloodless, will stick with you. At an hour and ten minutes, the film flies compared to Steckler's other films. Rat Fink and Boo Boo. Masked men dedicated to fight crime and preserve justice. Look, Boo Boo, young lady in distress. Won't somebody help me? Me first, Rat Fink. Go, Boo Boo. I'll park the rat sickle. Oh, take that, Mr. Crook. Oh. Why not fight someone your own size, fella? Ah. Help me. Won't somebody please help me? The Rat Fink will. Hey, drop that girl. with a woman being assaulted by three hoodlums. Uh, They physically beat her and leave her for dead. The next day, one of the hoodlums is impatient to find another victim. They receive a phone book and pick their next victim, C.B. Beaumont, the girlfriend of rock artist Lonnie Lord. After making scary phone calls, the hoodlums invade C.B.'s home and kidnap her. The only hope to rescue her is the superhero duo of Rat Fink and Boo Boo. Their respective secret identities are Lonnie Lord himself and mild-mannered landlord Titus Twimbley. Red Fink and Boo Boo take the fight to the criminals. First, let's address the title of the film. It was supposed to be Red Fink and Boo Boo, but uh, why just A uh, depends on who you ask. Rumor and speculation has it the artist creating the opening credits forgot the N.D., and Steckler wasn't willing to pay the extra 50 bucks to fix them. 
Steckler himself said his young daughter was on set and repeatedly shouted, Rhett Fink a boo boo. And Steckler liked it so much he went with it. Originally, the film was going to be called The Depraved, centering on CB's receiving of the phone calls. This was based on Steckler's then wife, Carolyn Branch, receiving strange phone calls herself. This goes on for about 36 minutes. The point this film becomes a superhero film is such a sharp turn. You can't help but think the campy Batman and Robin-esque antics were tacked on. That's not far from the truth. Here's Steckler on why Rat Finger Boo Boo had such a change in tone. When you were making the movie, it looks as though there were two films just joined together in the middle. Why actually happened? Ah, well, you mean because it's neither fish nor fowl? In the first half, we have stark realism and suspense and the second half we have a lot of fun i got bored with the movie when we were making it so i just decided to change it. and that's the truth i just got bored the way we were doing it i said <laughs> we're not getting anywhere with this picture let's do something that people will remember the music in the film is the best of the steckler films for this episode the opening credit music by andre brummer mixes bossa nova and steel guitar a la santo and johnny <laughs> actually sings the songs in this film, uh, with You're a Rat Fink being the highlight. This is the one film where Steckler directs, produces, wrote the story, and did the cinematography himself. The use of colored shots gives the film a comic book saturated feel. Another shocker, he doesn't act in this film. Roy Haydock and Titus Moday ham it up as Ratfink and Boo Boo. Both were frequent collaborators with Steckler and are just having a ball as these crazy superheroes. Carolyn Brandt and James Bowie also return. Bob Burns plays the gorilla, Kogar. This would not be the last time Burns would don a gorilla suit. Remember the other Ghostbusters show that featured Larry Storch and Forrest Tucker and they had a gorilla sidekick? Bob Burns played the gorilla, Tracy. 
Burns was an avid monster movie fan, often collecting props and other memorabilia. He had tons of stuff, including but not limited to the monster's boots from Abbott and Costello and the Frankenstein, the actual time machine from the 1961 George Pal film, and the original model for the stop motion in 1933's King Kong. As of this recording, he is still alive at the age of 85 and still beloved by many a filmmaker and movie fan. Red Finger Boo Boo is 72 minutes of dramatic tone shifting into campy comedy. The music, the look of the film, the camp energy will keep viewers entertained. This may be weirder than incredibly strange creatures, but uh, that's a point that can be argued. And that wraps up this episode of Mech in the Movies. Thanks for listening. Next time, we'll be taking a look at films starring Bruce Campbell, but not any of the Evil Dead films. We are going beyond the cabin. I'll be reviewing Bubba Hotep, Alien Apocalypse, The Man with the Screaming Brain, and My Name is Bruce. That episode will drop on Black Friday, November 27th. Uh, Something for you to listen to in between retail store battle royals. If you enjoy this content and would like to see the program grow, feel free to offer a one-time donation via PayPal, Venmo, and Cash App. For $1.99 a month, you can join my Subscribestar to help guide the creative direction of the show. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I have my BitChute channel as well. All of that in the description box below. Until next time, this is Mackenzie Lambert for Mech in the Movies. Take care, folks. Mm-hmm.